Welcome to Improv Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed 24 different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv one piece at a time. This is episode 9, Best Notes. For this episode, I asked people about the best note they ever got. Many of these notes didn't make sense to the person receiving it until much later, but for some reason it stuck in his or her head and changed the way they either saw improv or saw themselves. First up is Jessica Morgan. What's one of the best notes you've ever gotten? Ooh, oh, yes. The note that was another thing in my big book of like improv life that was a chapter change was... Abra gave it. Abra was maybe the only teacher I've had at UCB who has given me a direct note. Mm -hmm. And I am all about them direct notes. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And she told me, she said, Jessica, in scenes, you, in an attempt to be very supportive, you say, I know a lot. But what you're doing is tossing the unusual thing under the table. So if someone's like, oh, no, my fingers are bananas, you think you're being supportive by being like, oh, I know. But what you're really doing is just making life a lot harder. So that's the best note I've given, and I probably give that note the most because it's just stuck out to me so hard. It was Because it was so hard for me for so long to find an unusual thing. It's like I'm being supportive. It's me, again, being like, be supportive, be supportive, be supportive, and it ends up being a detriment because I'm trying so hard. Mm-hmm. And then you're being supportive as a character, which isn't always needed. We need it as an improviser. Exactly. That made me understand the difference between how to say yes as an improviser and how to say yes as a character, like what those mean. That note really illuminated that there's something happening above the table and, so, and like then the duck is treading water in a different way under, mm-hmm. the, under the water, table mm-hmm. water. The table water, yeah. <laughs> we know what ducks do. We know what ducks do on tables. That was Jessica Morgan. Jessica mentioned that this is the note she parrots most when she coaches. We hold on to the notes that affect us most and we try to pass on those notes the most. Those notes don't always mean the same thing to other people that they meant to us, but maybe they will later. This first half, Jessica's notes included, are notes that were specific to the improviser, that shaped how each person played. Up next is Lydia Hensler. We had earlier talked about nerves and how she helped get over them by self-consciously choosing to improvise as the confident version of Lydia. What are some of the best notes you remember receiving? All I'm thinking of is when Delaney said he was disappointed in me. <laughs> the only thing that's popping into my head. Like, I feel like Delaney is... The only uh, thing I can think of. <laughs> there was like a... Um, I feel like Delaney is, is like kind of a benchmark teacher in that way of that like... It, it was a fire that a lot of people passed through and yeah. some people didn't. I think he... Uh, he said he was like surprised at me in a scene... But like by me in a scene that I did. Because I just like didn't... Do, do well in this scene and he was just kind of, I think he was like what, why that, did you do that and that's I'm, such like a dad way of doing it like I thought you were better than this yeah it was I, very yeah and like come to think of it it was kind of like a nice way to yeah. deliver whatever note he was giving me but I think I was, and that was just nerves yeah. like, it was just nerves I feel like a lot of my notes were you're nervous <laughs> like yeah. I remember Anthony King wrote a, Anthony King did this really lovely thing where he wrote everybody personal notes on yeah. here all night and sent them to them oh but this is really funny because I didn't I for whatever reason I wasn't looped in on the email that went out to all the performers that he was doing it. So I thought I specifically just 
got a very long email about my skills. Right. It's like, I remember emailing Molly being like, Molly, I got this. And she's like, everybody got the email. And she's like, she's like, everybody got an email. It's like, oh my God. And she like forwarded me the email yeah. that went to everybody. I was like, oh God. I thought I was like in jeopardy of yeah. being kicked off. And it was just like things to work on. But like my nerves were highlighted as the mm-hmm. thing to work on. Because it was like, I had everything I needed. I knew ga- like game yeah. has always come really, I'm very lucky the game has always come easily for me. I think I have just like a mathematical head. So it just comes. But the nerves, the nerves would get in my way. And that's something I say all the time. That's why I would pretend to be a confident version of myself is just like, you can have a perfect game move, but if you're nervous delivering it, the audience is too afraid and Mm -hmm. like worried about you to laugh. Yeah. (laughs) But like you could walk out on stage and say gibberish. But if you're like confident about it, everyone's like, ha ha ha, before they realize like, wait, they just said gibberish. Like, uh, Jim Santangeli was saying gibberish for 45 minutes and I laughed at all 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like taped it and watched <laughs> it on rainy days. Yeah, I, my, most of my notes were just about nerves, yeah. kind of getting in the way of what I was doing, and also breaking out. I was always so afraid to be the unusual one. Yeah, it was really like exploring character and being the unusual. I was afraid because I didn't know how to do play weird because mm-hmm. I do have that mathematical brain, so it felt very scary to be like, I don't know what this weirdo does next, you know. And, right. um But then you realize it's the same as anything. You're just reacting truthfully as that weirdo. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those were, yeah, I can't think of like other specific ones. But it was mostly hitting that and you addressed it just like bit by bit of saying like, oh, I will just be more confident. Yeah. I will be this confident version of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then doing reps, like reps were really helpful. And you know what was interesting? My very first indie team was a team called Big Tobacco Mm -hmm. and there were 11 of us to start. (laughs) It was also, by the way, like a much smaller community yeah. back then. So it was just like half there of were our like, class or most of our class. There were like yeah. four indie teams at the time. Yeah, yeah, it was so small. And then one by one, like people started getting on Herald teams and stuff uh, from, this, from this team. And then it was, there was just four of us. Uh, so we started as 11 and then there were four of us. But weirdly, like be the four person team, I think that's where I got good. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I was good by not by accident you know it wasn't just like oh I happened to say a funny thing I was so nervous it was like oh I'm I'm initiating these scenes I'm getting I'm like really helping architect this show and I think that was just because there were less of us so you I just had to carry more weight in the show and we also did tons of shows so I just felt like that confidence was really there and then you know and then I got on Herald night and then nervous again because it's a bigger stage you know but I had like the skill set that had then improved so Mm -hmm. so I might be nervous but I kind of knew what I was doing and that's all of life right like every time it expands there's like fear and then you get better and then life gets bigger and then there's more fear it's like and hopefully it's Mm -hmm. always that way that the bubble keeps growing you know that was Lydia Hensler up next is Jesse Lee What's one of the best notes you've ever received? It's like, I remember, like, right before I'd taken that gathered class, I was in a Shannon O'Neill 501, and it was, like, her, her like, team-building one. It was, like, 12 mm-hmm. weeks. She splits you up into two teams, and you stick with that team for 12 weeks, and you, you, you work on Harold as a group with that mm-hmm. team. After that class, I sent her this, like, rambling, raving email being, like, Shannon, I really want to know, like, how how to improve and like, here's what I think my flaws are. And it was like a 10 point list of what I right, think my, right. what I need to work on. And she basically just responded. The one thing you need to do is chill the fuck out. <laughs> and, and I was like, at the time I was like, I don't get it. Like that yeah. <laughs> like, this doesn't address any of those things that you asked me to do or that I, that I needed help on. So then, um, and then I, where she of, was addressing the yes. statement behind the right. ranting email, which yeah. is, this is a ranting email. Yeah. This is, this is an insane person's rambling. Yeah. So naturally I think like, 
that was something that I think was really important for me to tackle is like mm-hmm. getting over this fear of looking stupid and making a mistake on stage yeah. or like not getting a game move or I don't know, whatever, whatever's dumb shit I was afraid of doing on stage because I think what's the worst that's going to happen, yeah. right? Uh, Sometimes I think Lloyd now is basically set up for that. Yeah, like totally. it is Because it, like, it's a... It's not a great theater. It's a tough audience because it's all students and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But it's like if you can do well there, right. you're going to be more than fine yeah, on totally. the Chelsea stage. And I remember Gethard once told me, stop trying to be a good improviser. And mm-hmm. I, think at, I think that perfectly encapsulated what my problem was and what I was struggling with was like I was trying to do what I thought was good instead of trying to serve my uh, own sensibility and like – do what I thought was funny in the scene. I was trying to fit this mold that I thought would get basically get me on Harold and I. And it was just, it's just not what anyone wants to see. Uh, right. <laughs> um, yeah, no one walks away like, that was a competent improv. Right, yeah, totally, yeah. So I think those two notes stick out to me. I think that, like, the stop trying to be good also, I think, appeals to a certain, not not exclusively at all, this is definitely a generalization, but I think there are, like, the, the style of improviser who came from more of kind of like a, I want to say like a game, like, literally, I mean, like, board games, Dungeons mm-hmm. & Dragons style background. Rules. Rules. Structure. Yeah. Because yeah. we have that, like, John Timothy also has that, like, yeah. it's that kind of, like, we think of things as these are the rules, and that's what's then presented to us. Right. And we focus too much on that, but really it's like, yeah, we all came here with our own comedic sensibilities. Right, right. I think, yeah, I I definitely totally agree with that. I feel like I had this, also like, I kind of viewed it as an academic in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's not like you're getting grades, but you're getting laughs, right? You're getting direct feedback, and if you do something and it's like weird and it's not funny, but it, like, you know, you focus on the fact that it wasn't funny and no one laughed rather than... It could have been funny or great mm-hmm. if you like you know did X Y Z and just focus on the failure, right? I don't know. Like that's to me, I I gravitate towards that mentality. And that's like a pitfall of mine where I focus too much on failure. I yeah. am not not committing to an idea or kind of like a uh, a goal or whatever. I just have that tendency to worry too much about what could go wrong. But that's probably the worst thing you can do in improv. <laughs> but so, it's 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 how we learn in every other right, way, right? Yeah, Anything true, yeah. else is, oh, you got this question wrong because mm-hmm. of X, now learn Y, right? Right, right. Yeah, so I think trying to get away from that, I think, was something that I had to do. It took me a long time to kind of figure that out. That was Jesse Lee. Now here's Jenny St. Angelo. This starts a run of notes from Kevin Hines. He's the academic director here in New York City, and he's a teacher a lot of us took. So a lot of us remember big notes from... What are some of the best notes you remember receiving? Probably the best note is still the hardest note for me to take to actualize, but justifying away the fun. That was Kevin Hines' big note to me in my 401 class was was you justify away the fun. It's one of those things that I constantly have to struggle with of like, but I can explain this. Right. I can make this make so much sense. It's not funny anymore, yeah. but it is logical. So that's like, that is a great note. I think that's like one of the pretty constant ones for me. It's like, oh yeah, okay. You gotta- Which makes sense for you as an actor, especially as an actor who inhabits her roles. Like, like instantly, like you take it in, right? You, you seem to work like from the inside out. Yes. That, oh, I can embody this person. I can make it make sense. Oh, I've done that work. Right. 
oh, wait, am I still doing the fun thing anymore? Or is it now just sad that you're doing this thing? Yeah, truly. Yeah, it used to be things like, oh, I fell in a nuclear power plant, you know? (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, of course. Or like, oh, the reason that this is floating is because of this, that, or the other. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter. That's That's not why it's fun. Right, I think I have gotten better at it, but it's hard. That's I think that's hard for me to to not want it to be right. Yeah. Or if I have a character that has an opinion, like a strong opinion, and someone is pushing back on it, that's still something for me of like it's not about being right. It's not about being right. It's not about outlogicking them in the argument. Mm-hmm. Right. That's I mean that's like a lifelong challenge for me. <laughs> but you know, yeah, like how can you get to the behavior of it? How can you get to the behavior and not just no, 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 no. Let me, I can explain this in the mm-hmm. smartest way. It's going to have, you're, I'm going to, boy, Nietzsche's coming in. Like, oh, we're going to get this whole thing going. And like, that's not generally funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. be like, well, Nietzsche says, unless it's about something very dumb. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So that, yeah, that's a big one. And then I think this wasn't so much a note, but it was an observation from Brennan when I was on Rizzo and I was feeling very like, ugh in my head and like I don't belong and everyone's so funny and I don't know what I'm doing is, is he was like you play high status even when you're low status and that y- you should own and acknowledge that and use it to your advantage and also like let that be your let that be the way that you let things go because mm-hmm. yeah because it was it was and it all again falls back into that being right right because high status people are right and that's very fun to be right and I would be low status, but I would still be like speaking truth to power, yeah. you know, and it's like, just be low status. Right. But that was like a good observation of like, oh, when I play high status and I really can own it and do the strut and do the thing mm-hmm. and my brain stops thinking and I just am and I generally much funnier. It's like, OK, how do I do that on the low status end of the spectrum? How can I how can I stretch myself in that way? And I'm still working on that, yeah. of like trying to trying to really be low status. Gil Ozeri once gave me the opposite note. Really? Of we, even when I'm high status, I would play low status. Oh, funny. And so he made me do a bunch of exercises where it's like, okay, you are the king. You are a teacher. You are in charge of this class. You cannot be low status at all. You and must was it always hard. It was hard. Yeah. 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 It's so funny because I feel like you're very high status in real life. Like, I feel like you carry yourself yeah. in a very confident way. Like, like you're not, a, a, I don't think high status means bullying it anyway. But like, you're, like, I just feel like when I see you and I talk to you and we have conversations, I don't feel like a tremor of right. like, underneath, which I feel is a very low status thing of like, ee. And I don't know if I've like, it's something I've worked past or maybe because of that, I think low status is so funnier. And, and the comedians that I was drawn to, are like, some of them were very much the kind of like, more put upon nebbishy like yeah okay yeah that, that type of thing yeah it's so interesting do you think that people play characters more in their status often than not or do you think like more high status people tend to play low status better and low status tend to play high status better in real life versus on stage I don't know me either uh, and also that yeah <laughs> and maybe it's because I'm I'm now thinking of kind of what does that mean? Like high status, low status of, so what does that mean within a scene, right? Of, yeah. of like, are you in control of the setting, I guess? Ooh, I've always taken it to mean that what you need is less. Okay. Like a high status person needs less from their scene partner. Gotcha. Or, or from the character. They mm-hmm. need something from the, whereas a low status person is searching or grasping for something. Interesting. 
Because I think like a bully can actually be low status. Yeah. And the person being bullied can be high status. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we definitely solved that one. We solved it. That was Jenny St. Angelo. Up next is Lily Dew. Yeah, it's so funny because all your notes blend in yeah. after a while and you truly don't remember them. And sometimes it's just like, oh, get in there. Because I used to hang back a lot. And that didn't affect me that much because I'd be like, um, I know. Yeah. That's the problem. If someone's hanging back and you're like, get in there. It's like, they know yeah. they have to get in there. And that's just putting more pressure on them. In my 401 class, I was hanging back a lot. And Kevin Hines told me that like I needed... He also was like really nice. He was like, your ideas are good. You have to like be able to make them. And so he encouraged me to get out there. And he said... This note is not to like anyone else. This is just to you. But like you should play games to win. Mm-hmm. You should because you're like letting people like walk over your moves and your moves are good. So you just you should like play your games to like win. Be competitive about getting in there if you have to. And honestly, like I was in 401. I don't know if my ideas were like that good, but I think just him telling me that gave me the confidence to get out there and to believe in myself more. And that's why tying it back to like morale, I think sometimes it is just a morale game. Like maybe I wasn't that good, but him telling me that Mm -hmm. I was made me believe I was made me confident enough to get out there. Yeah. That was Lily Dew. Up next is Molly Thomas. That was another huge moment for me. I was in a Kevin Hines advanced mm-hmm. study class. There were four women and 12 guys. Uh, what a nightmare. <laughs> and um, actually, you know, it was, I didn't think anything of it mm-hmm. at first. Yeah. And then it became very apparent that we have 12 men in this class and they all are attracted to one of the four women. And the other three women are all just kind of like, what the fuck is happening here? Anyway, so, but I would be in scenes yeah. and Kevin, this happened two different classes where Kevin would stop, it'd be a group game and he would say, you guys, did you see that move that right. Molly just made? You didn't reply to it. You didn't yes and it. And that's why this game isn't going well. And that was mind blowing yeah. to me. I had never had, I, nobody had ever pointed that out. And I realized in that moment or in that class that sometimes when I'm on stage and it feels shitty, it's not because I'm screwing up. Yeah. It's because my teammate isn't recognizing what I'm doing. And that was hugely helpful. Yeah. It's that, I mean, we talked earlier about that, like making that big move and then being supported, making that big move. It feels like the person making the big move is at risk of being the asshole, but then anybody who doesn't support that person is really the asshole in the situation. It's just harder to see. Right, right, right. It's harder to see because that person has been left out on an island and they look like they made a crazy choice. Yeah. But yeah, if you're not supporting, then you're the asshole. That Kevin Hines note, even though that was a note for the class, yeah, but it really was a note for myself too. Of, yeah. Oh wow. Sometimes I'm just not like I need to take up more space, mm-hmm. or I'm taking up some space, but I'm if I'm not trusted or if I'm getting steamrolled, that's what that feels like. Yeah. That was Molly Thomas, and up next is Chris Scott. The biggest note that did absolutely change how I played improv and change how I was coming to improv. And it was a low, long, long 
slow battle, but like hit me so hard. And it came from two people within two days. Same note, same class, which was Chris Gethard at the end of the 301 that became Thank You Robot, that Thank You Robot came out of, telling me I didn't trust people, which was like a, for improv, you know, it was like a knife. It was a knife. I didn't trust my fellow teammates. And I, at first, I didn't believe it. And then Casey Savage said to me, might have been the night before or the night after, yeah, you're, you can be an asshole on stage <laughs> or in class. Like, and I was like, oh. So that was the biggest shift to me of how much I had to like stop trying to please the teacher and stop trying to be perfect and pull back. Um, I still do it all the time. I'm absolutely the person in class who wants to re, 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 reword notes when I see other people don't getting it. Yeah. I'm that guy. Oh. I'm so sorry. That's why I love coaching. Yeah. Because I, I get to do it. Yeah. And when somebody doesn't understand it, I get to go like, well, let's describe it this way. Yeah. Uh, and then if somebody on that team tries to redescribe it. And I'm like, oh, oh no, 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 Mine's no. better. No, 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 no. You're paying yeah. me for this. Yeah. Oh, and Betsy Stover a couple years ago gave me the note. I was doing a scene and I was kind of like a Williamsburg-y dude waiting for a restaurant. It was a pretty good scene, I thought. And she after the scene, she goes like, uh, what, what was that guy like? And I said, well, he's kind of a douchebag or an asshole. She was like, does anybody think of themselves as a douchebag, an asshole? Like, really think of that. Um, she was like, have empathy for your own characters. That's like, was one that kind of shifted my brain thought of like, you have to find the thing that makes your, the person you're playing understandable. Do you have to relate to them on some level? And it can be the same characteristic stuff, but I think it twists how, what sort of moves you make and how much the audience will tolerate you. Yeah. You can't just play a dick. Yeah. And someone who thinks that themselves. There's still something else underneath. Even right. if they're like an internet troll or something, they have dick behavior. They have a reason behind it. Exactly. It's that classic, like, no villain thinks right. they're a villain. Yeah, type yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Even getting to like argument scene type thing. Like I love a good argument oh, scene yeah. when the person who's ridiculous treats the other people realistically how they think uh, what what the voice what they yeah, think yeah. is wrong with the voice of reason. Yeah, yeah, so like yeah, the yeah. voice of reason says like you're filling your room with cupcakes. You don't you don't need to fill your room with cupcakes. There's no shortage of cupcakes and the person who's filling the room with cupcakes for whatever reason is like you're trying to steal my cupcakes. Right. right. Yeah, These yeah, cupcakes aren't yeah. for you. Like when they like realistically are like, I as a crazy person am going to try to look. Have... I'm going to like view what the voice of reason is saying and right. really delve into that from right. my messed right. up point of view. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, it's levels of really embodying your character sometimes to get right. that. Right. Right. That was Chris Scott. Up next is James Dwyer. What's one of the best notes you've ever received? The worst part about having to answer this question is I don't remember them, probably. I remember the notes that weren't good notes that stuck with me for too long. <laughs> what were some of those? One time someone gave me the note before a Herald audition, on uh, this person I will not name, that it's funny when I cry and I should cry more and I should do that in my audition. Ooh. I think I remember only the worst stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember getting... Well, no, they're all notes that hurt me. I remember getting a note once where my teacher was like, you only play angry and sad in all of your scenes. Uh, you should maybe be happy more. And I was like, oh, no, this is about me. Right. Um, and that really affected me, I remember, at the time. 
Uh, and it was also a teacher who was like a little checked out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to, to then have that note come out of nowhere, I was just like, ooh, wow, you cut me. Right. But yes, yeah, so I can't remember notes that really like, I know, you know, people talk about having those like aha moments mm-hmm. in improv. And I think maybe once I remember having the moment, I don't remember what the note was. Right. I maybe have just a really bad memory. I'm so in the moment that, like, how could I possibly remember it? It's just impossible. You know? That was James Dwyer, and now here's Nicole Dressbell. What are some of the best notes you remember getting? I think this might be controversial. I think the best notes that you get you're not ready for, and you don't realize what they meant until later. Yeah. Because it's a person who's diagnosing a thing that you are in the thick of. And maybe I'm, it's just my own shortcomings, but I'm not. I, I was really young when I started doing improv. That's not true. I was 22. It's not that young. But I was new to being a person mm-hmm. when I started doing improv. And again, I was chasing approval and not necessarily chasing skill. But I think sometimes I'd get a note and then like six months back, I'd be like, I know what that note meant. Yeah. Or much later, I'd be like, oh, I know what they were trying to tell me with that. This is a weird analogy, but it's a yeah. little bit like being told you're depressed sure and you're like no i just i'm not I'm, i just like i just cry a lot and i've right. just been like listening to sad oh no and then like later on you realize like okay this is what that was yeah it's somebody telling you this is the forest that you're in when mm-hmm. you're just focused on the tree that you're in front of yeah or whatever yeah someone naming the forest when you're in a tree yeah yeah, I'm yeah. Not sure. yeah yeah I remember, here's a good note, and I didn't take it right away, and I didn't understand it until later, but Brandon Scott Joe at some point was like, and it was very light, and it was just in passing, and he acted like it was no big deal, but he was like, um, Nicole, in this scene, um, make a choice, make a fun big choice, uh, you can't play concerned, don't worry about this note. And then I was like, oh, that bastard, all I'm doing is playing characters who are concerned about things, and it's blocking fun choices. Right. Concern is so fucking useless, it's so from a place of like, you as a person being concerned Mm -hmm. it's from you as a person being concerned that you're going to be vulnerable or you're going to be exposed so you play your character's concern and there are ways that you could play it to an unusual degree but if you're not you're just blocking fun and it was so on the money and i wonder if it was just like really was as breezy as he acted like it was Mm -hmm. or if he'd been like locked and loaded since early 2009 and it was just finally time when he could say it right but that was like very very helpful very helpful and it's also turned me on to something that i can now recognize in other players when they're blocking themselves i sean Dista and i talk sometimes about how like you coach to the notes that you got mm-hmm. i don't know how true that is of me anymore because now i think i'm kind of a pretty selfish player yeah well i guess i am coaching people away from selfishness but i wasn't getting that note early i just overcorrected Anthony King in a 401 class. And I've almost said Anthony King a few times during this line of questioning, but he just, he explained game in metaphors. And that is so how my brain works. And I found it so helpful that even if it's a little bit abstract, it just really helps. It contextualizes things. It's not that it's necessarily like immediately practical advice, but it just like shines a light and directs your brain in a way that can understand what you're doing. I definitely, I had great teachers. I did not understand game until 401. Mm-hmm. And I remember the moment I understood game, it was initiating somebody else's second beat. And then I was like, I understand what the unusual thing means. It's the fun thing that they're going to keep doing, but in a new context. Right. Thank you very much. Anyway, but one of the, so Anthony had great notes, a lot of the metaphors, but I also remember him once explaining baby T-Rex to us. And it is such a nuanced, specific note that I almost never give unless an opportunity presents itself to give it. What do you mean by baby T-Rex? So 
allegedly, many, many years ago, there was a Harold Knight where either Brian Stack or Brian Husky, O'Brien, was playing a character in First Beats who was Baby T-Rex, and the scene was Baby T-Rex goes on a journey. And Baby T-Rex had the little T-Rex arms and a little backpack and just, like, the way he was being played and, like, the improv- the combination of improviser and character. Like, the audience was here for it. They loved it. And in the second beat, they went analogous. And it was a perfect analogous game move, but there was no more this improviser doing this thing that everybody had loved. And that is a thing that some scenes have. Most scenes don't. Not a lot of them do. But sometimes there is a thing in your scene that has nothing to do with the game. Nothing to do with, like, what will or will not make it a good first or second beat. But, like, if you don't carry it with you, the audience is going to feel like they're at a loss. Uh-huh. And you could be playing game perfectly, but, like, an opportunity has been missed. An opportunity for delight has been missed. And every once in a while, like, students will have a first beat that murders. And then a second beat where it's, like, it's perfect. It's on board. It's analogous. But, like, it's not murdering the same way. And I have to stop and be, like, cool. Didn't know there was going to be an opportunity to get this. But, like you uh, forgot the baby T-Rex. And I just think like that's such a specific thing that I'm sure I've bastardized and gotten wrong and passed down wrong at this point, but like speaks enough to a very specific thing in a coherent way that I think like now you understand what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. You can think of other scenes where that's been the case, even though most scenes don't have them. And now we have a shorthand for understanding this thing, which I find very helpful. And then today in class, there was just like, a hysterical first beat that was set. It was a really funny, straightforward game, but it was like set on set between an actress and a director. And the way that these two improvisers were fucking nailing the specifics of like a very specific type of actress speaking to a very specific type of director and the way that they, just the way that they were living the base reality Mm -hmm. was murdering in between the game moves. And it was just so natural. And then they went analogous in second beats because they're pushing themselves to go analogous. And I had to stop and be like, okay, sorry, I know I say analogous is good, but you're going to have to go back if you want to replicate that feeling. Yeah. I love seeing time dashes that are dashes sometimes of five seconds. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. Where it's just like, we loved this. I remember Matt Mayer Mm -hmm. initiating a a scene on some kid of just like the first one was an interrogation scene or like a a lawyer in a a, talking to his client Mm -hmm. in a jail. And then the second beat was just, well, I was talking to the warden. We've got a little bit more time to talk. And that was it. And they just kept fucking going and they just did it more invested. Also, that's like, that's Twilight Matt Mayer. That's like Matt Mayer near the end of his Herald Knight career who was just like, no, I understand all the rules. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to use them as they're intended to be used, (laughs) which is to do more of the thing that was fun. That's really lovely. Oh, that's so fun. Little hands on his hips when he does it. Yep. God bless. That was Nicole Dressbell. There's another very specific Anthony King note about Heralds that stuck with me for some reason, which is don't reverse the game for second beats. The first beat was a classic X as Y scene. Uh, What if teachers acted like cops or something like that? For the second beat of that scene, I initiated with cops that act like teachers. Anthony's note was if you reverse the game for that second beat, you're not really playing the game from the first beat. And also, you have nothing left for the third beat. You can't reverse the game again. There's nothing left. The baby T-Rex note that Nicole brought up is more of an understanding improv note than it is about any one specific improviser. And that's the second half of this episode. Notes about improv in general. Here's Morgan Phillips. What is one of the best notes you ever got? Eugene Cordero coaching a practice group once and I think it was I think he coached this practice group literally once the way he put something once was that I was running past the game 
which in the moment just just made so much sense. Sometimes it's not even the note, it's the way the note is phrased. Sometimes you can hear the same note over and over again and doesn't click until somebody says it a certain way. And I think it was that idea of getting so excited with the fun stuff going on in the scene that you don't take that moment to have it register, oh, this is the, ga- this is the, the funny thing, this is the game of the scene. That's one of the reasons why I purposely tried to have as many different teachers and coaches as possible. I'd keep a running list. I still have a running list on my improv wiki right. uh, page of all the coaches and teachers I've had, although I haven't updated it for a year or so. Hearing it differently from somebody else can be the perfect, the perfect thing there. So that, that, was, that was important. And just getting those other eyes. Like I love also like that same thing of like, yeah, getting as many coaches and teachers and that kind of thing. Because you get that other view of like, I know Shannon is going to see different things reacting to me than Kevin will or whoever. Michael Delaney, I've, he was the only, I think he's the only teacher I took three classes from. And I've taken workshops with him as well. Every single time I do something with him, at least once I can count on, he will say something that just is sort of mind-blowing. Even if it's like just a regular good rehearsal for the rest of the rehearsal, there'll be one moment where it's just like, oh, okay, now I get that. Right. Anything in particular you remember him saying? I have, I've never taken him. I've always like meant to, but it was kind of like timing never worked out. Honestly, there's not a single specific thing I <laughs> yeah. can remember that he said. It's just a sort of... Uh, You'll know it when you hear it. Right. And it's often, maybe it's so specific to the situation, but it's just sort of, you know, somebody with that level of experience just sort of bringing all that to bear on a particular moment of improv. There's just, that's what's, that's what's so fun about improv is there's so many variables. And it never gets boring, especially if you push past those generic scenes yeah. and, and get into really specific things based on the, the personality of the people playing, the life experience of the people playing. It's always, it's always new. It's yeah. always new. That was Morgan Phillips. The idea of taking as many teachers and coaches as possible also came up in episode two, playing the game where Achilles mentioned getting different perspectives. Again, that's also the goal of this podcast. I wish I could have interviewed about 50 more people for it, but whatever. Speaking of Achilles, Stamatolaki, here he is. What are some of the best notes you remember receiving? A lot of them are are like almost like standard rote improv notes, but I remember hearing them and it kind of like helped unlock certain things for me. So like uh, in in 201, I remember Seth Morris was my 201 teacher and he was like, gay is not a game. And and I was like, that makes sense. Like, well, right. gay is not a game. Yeah, like gay people are not unusual. <laughs> like it, it was like, like the the note helped me in my own head unlock right. certain things. It's like, oh right, like a normal thing shouldn't be what's funny about yeah. the scene, you know? But Which yeah, seems very obvious in retrospect, but we all had to hear that a first time and have that realization. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing in two hundred one. I took Peter Gwynn for three hundred one, mm-hmm. and like it was like Peter Gwynn and Michael Delaney, who I had as my first like advanced study or. 501 back then uh teachers like everything they said was like a perfect note it mm-hmm. was like it was just a, a wave or a flood of like these perfect nuggets that you could just take away like one thing that i remember delaney saying was like you need to act your little hearts out on stage and i think that's like such a delaney uh note. Yeah. i remember there was a note that Will Hines said that was like, and this is goes goes back to kind of being good scene partners. Is like be chivalrous to each other on stage. 
not, not necessarily being like, although this does affect this, but like if you're a male improviser with a female improviser, mm-hmm. not necessarily that specifically, but when you're on stage with, with somebody, it needs to feel like you are here for them. You right. Know? So like an Anthony King note that I love was like, you, you need to improvise with the other person as if they're like Mother Teresa or something mm-hmm. like that. You don't want to make Mother Teresa look like an asshole. So it needs to feel, there needs to be, yeah, like this, this chivalrousness, this like, not quite reverence, but yeah. just th- this level of this person's good and I'm going to treat them as right. if they're really good on, right. on stage rather than every person for themselves. But yeah, it's kind of those like little little nuggets that stick out to me and I, and I still kind of use in, in uh, what I teach. Once in a while, I'll mention when the first unusual thing comes up and it uh, never gets spoken to. Anthony King had a, a good note where he was like, when something weird happens in a scene... There's a huge question mark that just comes up above the scene. And then when that comes up, when that question mark comes up above the scene, the entire audience is just looking at that, at that question mark. Right. And they're not, they're not paying attention to your scene until you guys answer what that question uh, is. And then once that question gets answered, the, the audience, <sighs> yeah, the audience is relieved. But I think that was helpful for me because it was so visual, the, yeah. the note, you know? Um, and I like little things like that. I'm trying to think of things that I, uh, notes that I give that are, are visual, but I, I like that in particular that, cause it feels like a, a nice, easy way to kind of realize what the, like justifying is helpful yeah. uh, for. It's like, oh, it's, there's a question it needs to be answered. And there's a reason we need to answer that question. Mm-hmm. It's the audience isn't paying attention to your scene until we answer that question. That was Achilles Stamadalaki. Now here's Liz Noth. What's one of the best notes you ever got? I'm going to give the, I've told this story a lot, but um, Delaney gave me a note once that like was really, really rough, but it very much shaped my improv. And I'm sure I've told you this before, but it was my first advanced study class was a Delaney class and I was really nervous and I stepped out and I had a good idea for a premise and it was in a Herald. And so I, I said my premise in the first line. And then from there, the scene just kind of petered out. It just, we, we weren't listening to each other and we were both nervous. And he said to me, um, a premise is a promise. This was his note. He said, a premise is a promise. And if you're not a skilled enough improviser to deliver on that, then don't initiate a good premise, <laughs> which is like insanely harsh, yeah. right? As a note. But I took it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. To say, like, I'm, I am a skilled enough improviser to deliver on a premise. So I, I want to be good enough. I want to I want to be able to execute a premise because, you know, there, and it also makes sense. Like when you're learning this stuff, you can see what works mm-hmm. and you, you get like a piece of. So I knew how to form a premise, but I didn't really know how to execute it. So it's helpful to me to like, oh, having the movie of how it looks in my mind is different than knowing how to make that happen. Right. So that was a huge motivator for me. And at the time I was in that class, I was also in like a final callback process for a grad school in acting. Mm -hmm. And it was like this, I almost feel like this gauntlet was thrown, but I had these, both of these experiences at the same time. And it was like, which one of these is going to be the next like four years of my life. Right. And it was it was improv. It was like committing myself to improv more so than this whatever this theater program was. So ha- having his class at that time was really formative for me and that advice was really mm-hmm. really motivating to get better. That was Liz Noth. Up next is Sebastian Canelli. What's one of the best notes you've ever gotten? Armando Diaz 
he told me I once made a move in the scene and then it didn't go well, so I took that move back. Like I, I said, oh, oh, I didn't mean to do that. And Armando goes, no, you did that. Don't take it back. Do it. And that was it. That was his note. Yeah. So if you do something, just stick with it. Mm-hmm. Right? And it was, I, I, of course, it's that case-by-case scenario if you do something horrible. Uh, like, I don't want to be like, Sebastian said I'm going to keep on doing this. Right. Right? <laughs> no, don't fuck it. Well, don't ever quote me, all right? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's just like, oh, remember the choices that you're making in the scene? You made them. So yeah. stick to it. I think that was just like a simple – Armando also does a great job of just giving you a simple note. Any other notes that you particularly remember? I did have to adjust to like not being – like serving the piece over myself. So I was the kid that was like – I think in one of my shows in like 301, I was in two of the beats. Right. Even though there was eight people. <laughs> and I, I forced I, – it wasn't a walk-on. I initiated back-to-back beats. <laughs> so my problems are, like, different than other yeah. people's because I just want to be in it all and yeah. try to be f- funny in it all. I think for me it is about, like, learning, like, that ego thing that I was saying before about, like, learning I have to serve the greater the, – the, the scene or the greater good of the piece. And that's something I'm still learning. So it was, like, slap on the wrists like that I needed a little bit. That's one of those things also where – because the other side of that is so foreign, it sometimes for me becomes hard to adjust in terms of I'm always ready to get out there and just do a scene. It's uh-huh. like, yeah. and I would gladly initiate or respond to every single beat in a Herald. Of course. And I know I shouldn't. Yeah. But it's hard not to, especially when it's like when there's a second of everybody on the back line, I'm already like moving and like, wait, I need to let everybody get out there. Yeah. But it's because I don't really understand that other half of, wait, why aren't you jumping out? It becomes harder for me to know that I shouldn't. What do you think the other half is? Sometimes it might be because I will sometimes get that like not quite nervousness, but I don't feel like I can confidently do the one thing Uh where it's like sometimes because I'm there's always in my head five different options. Sometimes I'm seeing all five equally. And then after I say one, I realize should have done that other thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm on the back line. I should make this move. And then you see Dave Bloodband come out and make that same move and get a huge laugh. It's like, well, fuck. <laughs> Bluff took my fucking move. Yeah. That I didn't make. And then I kept in my head. Yeah. For me, it's about letting go of those ideas. Yeah. That's what I had to learn. Like being a good improviser is about letting go of the ideas that come to you. Yeah. Because... That's something I'm still, like, I always will ask, like, if Lindsay comes to my show, I'll be like, was I in too much? It's, to this day, it's something I I stress about. And I honestly don't think I'm in too much anymore. Mm-hmm. I do think I share focus, but I it is something I'm super aware of. It's like driving a car where you know the steering wheel drifts a little bit to the right. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm just going to have to push a little bit to the left uh-huh. and just to keep on the road. Yeah. And... I am also not – I'll walk onto a scene and change it. Yeah. <laughs> in, like a, uh, in a bad way. And I've learned the more – when I understand game better, I'm able to not do that, right? And just walk on to provide for the scene. But like that was also a growing process for me. Also like learning how to be like a voice of reason in a scene was hard and How difficult come? for me. How come? Because I always – want because that was always the non-fun part. Yeah. 
to the scene for me. I go, I don't want to just be a person trying to getting annoyed and, and, and frustrated at the other person. Um, how is that funny? Because that, that was never what was funny to me. What was funny was always the people that were like were being silly and getting to be that silly. That always is what felt natural. And I think the movie class is what opened that up for me. And with when you say like I'm like try to be um, specific people from my life when I'm playing just base reality, that opened it up for me a lot too. Because you can still be very funny and be the voice of reason. Yes, yes. As long as I'm serving the scene. Yeah. And so that, like, I still, like, struggle. I was on a team with so many funny people. The enemy had so many funny people on it that it was inevitable that I was not going to be the funny person in the scene. Yeah. Mathematically, it would be impossible. Yes. And so um, I just had to learn how to – and I remember walking away from shows feeling bad. And we would have a good show, but I would feel bad because I felt like I didn't get a lot of laughs. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, talking it out with some people and then just figuring it, like, that's not what this is about. I'm not doing improv. I have to, maybe I was doing improv because I wanted the laughs, but that's not what improv is for. And so if I want to continue doing it, I need to do it for what it is, which is creating a great thing together, which is hard because it's ego and how the fuck do you get rid of that? You know, I always want to be the funniest person. You kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I literally, I legit would leave stage and instantly be making jokes as we're walking to get notes. Because, and people would say to me, he didn't get enough. Because yeah. they're right. I did not get enough. There's, there will never be enough. No, there will never all be enough. The, all the laughter, all the therapy in the world, never going to fill this hole. No, it's, I, it, it's, it's sick. It's, and I'm also like, um... I'm like a ball that you push down a hill. It's really hard for me to stop. I'm right. never out in the first beats. So even when I did the two back-to-back scenes, it was second beat, uh, second scene, third oh, okay. scene. <laughs> I didn't even give a break for the audience. I'm, I'm, I, I, I try to go out in the first scene every so often because I am a momentum, like a momentum person. Yeah. So like once the things are moving, I'm like ready. I'm rolling, and and like it's hard for me to like control myself with that stuff. That's where like I worry about like being in too much, and like so after a show, it's hard for me to slow down. For a second, too. Mm-hmm. I'm better at it now, but I used to like struggle with that. I used to be on for a while. But there's nothing more humbling than like having a good show. And for the years I lived in Staten Island, like just having to go wait for a bus and then stand on a bus for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I needed that momentum for that shit. Yeah. Yeah. That was Sebastian Canelli, and now here is Alex Dixon. What's one of the best notes you ever got? Jordan Klepper said it when I was on Lloyd Night when he subbed a practice for us, and I was like, I love that, probably because I went to acting school. But I remind people, I'm like, we're doing theater. Mm-hmm. Whether you think of yourself as a theater person or not, or whether you think of yourself as an actor or not, you're now an actor and you're doing theater. So people don't come to the theater to see people be over it or not care and they also don't come to the theater to see people sit across from each other and just talk they come to see people living their lives yeah which is not to say like oh that scene was stagnant this is theater we need it to be like big (laughs) and whatever but it, it is that awareness of like yeah of like this is a stage and like there's not a camera zooming in on me like I have I have a stage I can have a space I can use I have two doors I have a curtain like all this stuff that I think like and the audience gets so excited, and I think teams get excited when somebody does make a move and, like, goes out into the VOM or, like, mm-hmm. uses the God mic or whatever because it's like, oh, right. 
we're in a theater and we're doing improv so we can make up whatever we want. So I try to remind people of that, which I do sometimes see when I say that people's faces are like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't sign up for theater. I do comedy. Right. Like, well, you're in the theater now. Yeah. In that same practice, Jordan said, pointed out to me that I often initiated, gave the unusual behavior to my scene partner. And he was the first person to be like, give yourself that. Yeah. And he framed it in a nice way. He was like, I think you're doing that because you think it's generous. Like, you're like, I'll straight man you. You'll be funny at this. Yeah. And he was like, but you know what's funny about it, so you should play it. Yeah. So that helped a lot. And it, That was one of the things you brought to... I remember you giving coworkers that oh, really? a lot. And it's one of those things that I started instantly giving to other people. Yeah. And stealing for myself on Sleuth now, or yeah. on Sleuth and now Flefty, where it's just, oh, I, I can do the I funny can do thing. That. Louis can join me. He cannot join me. That's up to him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I think before Jordan said that, I wouldn't have been able to see it in a scene. But now it is like, I'm like, oh, the only thing that was a little weird about that scene was like, you knew what you wanted the behavior to be, but you were trying to tell someone else to do it. And I don't know that I was aware of that dynamic before Jordan gave me that note. When I was in Chicago, I didn't know what this meant at the time, but I think about it a lot now. My teacher, Norm said to me he was talking about Amy Sedaris and he was like she was always like one of my favorite people to come through and he said but she didn't know what her voice was and he was like and when I saw Strangers with Candy I was like oh thank god she like that's her and she got her shut like and he said to me he was like you need to know what your voice is and not apologize for it and I was like what I thought that just meant like come up with a show idea. Like, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I was just like, okay. But I think about that a lot, especially when I'm teaching or coaching, because I'm like, people think like, oh, well, there's a funny thing to say. And it's like, no, say the thing that you're thinking or feeling, because that's the point of view or the voice that you're bringing to this set. And I don't think I understood what he was talking about or why that was important. So I think about that a lot for myself and yeah. when I'm coaching and teaching. I feel like that's become one of the delineators at least in the way that I see it between Lloyd and Harold, is that often you'll see people on Lloyd do moves that they feel are good UCB yeah. moves or good improv moves. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see people who are just like, I know this is funny and I'm going to do it. Right. And then they just do it. And it's like, that's what we wanted. Yeah. That's what I wanted we wanted to, to see. You. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think that's whenever I talk about the diversity scholarship in class too, one of the things I say about it is I'm like, the more points of view and voices we have on the stage the funnier and better it is. Mm -hmm. Um, If we all have people with the same point of view, it's like, okay. It becomes that feeling of like, oh, that was was the move that probably was going to happen. But the more different backgrounds and ideas of what the unusual thing is and all that stuff. But I didn't know that that's all that Norm meant when he was talking about find what your Mm -hmm. voice is. I was like, I I did. What are you talking about? (laughs) So yeah, those are the three that stand out the most i think that was alex dixon and here's devin ritchie what's one of the best notes you ever got karen hamberberg told me that just because they're on a date at a restaurant does not mean you need to play a waiter thank you yes (laughs) i really did love it and i was i'm a waiter in my life too Mm -hmm. so i was just like oh i know all the specifics and then she's like it's too much i was like you're right you're right i um I don't need to do that. Because it, ta- it sometimes has a tendency to take over the scene. Oh, my God. Or just delay like the scene by 15 half seconds. Half the time, it's just like I become the weird thing. You know, like, 
immediately. Christian Capazzoli told me to like just accept and don't not judge any person's like any person's move. Just immediately get sucked out of the black hole too. Before yeah. you can judge it, it's more fun. Starting to play things with fidelity was something that was like a great note for me. You know, they're just like play it real, however this would just be, and I'm like, oh, that clicked for me. I'm just like how it would be, right? Because it feels like you're an improviser who thinks of things in terms of. I'm going to say like the setting, but in terms of that kind of like reality of actually existing as a human. Yeah. It's just like, if this is true, what else is true? You know, and I'm really trying to set things like, and believe me, I love playing, you know, shit monsters from Space Mountain, but like, I want to play things as real as possible. If we're doing that, I'm going to play it like, if that's true, what else is true? Like, what is the reality of that scene? And I just want to see the walls. I want to touch the things, have my feelings, and like know what I'm wearing and doing. You know, right. and look like uh, I love being very clear about setting the environment and playing within your environment. That was Devin Ritchie. Now here's Will Hines. What are some of the best notes you remember receiving? Uh, participate from James Eason. Mm-hmm. Owen Burke said, "Like object work, like don't think about it too much. You've eaten a bowl of cereal a million times, so just eat it again. Mm-hmm. You just do it." Uh, Joe Wengert, like your tag out should be more as absurd or more absurd than whatever you're tagging out. The absurdity should go – stay the same or go up. It shouldn't go down. Right. Which my, seems very obvious. My but tag it's out like, had made it less absurd. Yeah. He gave me that note and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It was like on game but it was less good. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, that, was a, that was a helpful one. Avoid common wisdom from Neil Casey. What does that mean? Like don't preach something we all know. Don't make a big okay. game out of Fox News being conservative. Sure. Like that's that's just a base reality. Yeah. We don't that's not you're not wowing us. Yeah. Don't don't common wisdom is not a good basis for your game. Right. I was just reading a thing about how the problem with late night shows, it's harder to make them funny because we're all now just reacting to common wisdom yeah. of yeah, Fox News is crazy. Oh, the president did yeah. this. And it doesn't feel as subversive to say any of these things. This is more outlets. Like the standards are up. Like it used to Mm -hmm. be only Johnny Carson would be the one making the jokes. So he only had to beat Mm -hmm. expectations, which were high. But like it's – now there's five guys doing that plus everybody on Twitter. Yeah. And whatever viral video comes out. Improv rules are life rules. That's an Ian Roberts sentence. Okay. Behave like life. Most improv rules are to make you look more like real life on stage. Okay. They're there to – Avoid transaction scenes and teaching scenes because in real life they're they don't occupy our mind too much. Right. Improv is disposable from Matt Walsh. Like don't don't be too precious about it. Be emboldened by how temporary it is. Yeah, I remember those notes. Billy Merritt was my first coach, so his notes were just training wheels notes. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna quote him, but I don't think he would stand by these as good improv principles as much as good things to say to a nervous young improviser right. who's terrified. Be like if you walked in and went beep in the first beat, maybe walk in and go beep on the second beat. Um, no, you know, stage picture can go a long way. Maybe yeah. give a good stage picture if you have nothing else to do. <laughs> play some genres you've never played before. Mm-hmm. Play a character you've never played before. The audience will like smell the bravery on you. I I remember I remember once. Keep your numbers real. Like Andy Secunda noted me for saying like ten million dollars in a scene. He's like ten million. Right. And I was like, oh. One million. <laughs> Which is – it's one of those very like simple things but it is just like how is it going back to reality? It's it's not muddy yeah, – don't muddy the connected, waters. Yeah. Yeah. Stay precise. Stay specific. Yeah. That was Will Hines. Here's Bill DePiero. 
What are some of the best notes you remember getting? What are some notes that you remember like affecting you? I remember very early being told not to lean against the wall or to put my hands in my pockets or anything like that. Like to be ready and sort of eager to get out. Yeah. Which is very simple, but like I notice anytime I stopped wearing like a, I don't like to wear like a sweatshirt or or, a, or even like any sort of like sweater with pockets mm-hmm. because I don't like I don't like having my hands in pockets and if I have pockets right there, I have that impulse to do it, but it does yeah. affect it. Totally, and I think that's just about being like present and listening. Mm-hmm. I feel like with having an opening, that's what's hard. I like I I don't think I'm particularly good at this. I used to be, I think, very good at I would hear everything mm-hmm. and I would like keep it all because I didn't feel like I had to be correct in a second beat or yeah. something. Or I would try and go down the line and like remember everyone's thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd be able to I remember there were times in like even like four oh one where I was just like maybe more practiced in this from having come from DC where it was like I could have initiated everyone's second beat and then had a third beat idea for them all. And maybe yeah. now it's like, I still have those ideas, but I'm just like, I've already seen that. I've seen that. And so I'll like throw them away as I'm standing there, but right. which makes me less present. Yeah. And then there's also rules about walk-ons and stuff, which I think are good for the most part. But it's maybe more fun where you feel like at any moment you can jump yeah. out and do it. That's why I always hate the LeBron because it's like, all right, well, let me yeah. wait 20 minutes and maybe yeah. I'll get back out there. <laughs> I uh, when we did the like the waterfall thing where it was like one to eight, eight to one. Mm-hmm. I had that same problem of I think I was the eight a couple times, and then oh, I would yeah. go in, do the scene, and leave, and I would have that feeling on the back line of oh, I have the bird's eye view. I want to edit this. We need to pick up our pace, but there's nothing you can do from outside. Yeah, to like help your team and to be with your team and and enjoy that. Totally. That was Bill DiPiero. Now here's Kevin Hines. What's one of the best notes? Or what are some of the best notes you've ever gotten? I feel like you warned me of this question, and I didn't think about it. I should have. A note that I go back to, that I this is a Delaney note that I have recounted to him, and he, I don't know if he liked the note, but I loved the note. I was in a scene, a group scene. I maybe told you this already, but I'm going to start over and tell it to you Go again. for it. I was in a group scene for a Herald class. And somebody came out and started setting up an instrument for like an orchestra. And somebody else came out and started setting up another instrument. And that second person came out and complimented the first person's shirt. Hey, I like that shirt. Started setting up whatever instrument they set up. Third person came up and started setting up an instrument. Saw that first person. Hey, nice shirt. All right, we got a pattern. Fourth person came out. Hey, nice shirt. Sat down. But sat down maybe a little further away from everybody else. Not on purpose. This person wasn't thinking about it. And I remember being in that scene and just... When the next person came out, started setting up as the uh, conductor, complimented the shirt first, Mm -hmm. started setting up as the conductor. I said, hey, the bassoon player is still sitting too close to us, referring to this person who just had come out. Yeah. So the conductor was like, you need to move further away. So the guy moved further away. The next person came out, complimented the shirt, sat down. Until he's like, why is everyone complimenting the shirt? (laughs) And up to that point, it was just... Because the people before us had done yeah. it. And I think that person was like, that's the first unusual thing. Everyone's complimenting that shirt. And he's like, yeah, I guess. It's not funny. <laughs> this bassoon player thing, maybe that's funny. But that's not funny. And he wasn't even sure. I think the bassoon player move was funny. But it was like, it was way more interesting than the shirt. Yeah. Maybe the shirt could have been funny if it was done a different way, if we were better improvisers. But just to do it because you felt you had to. 
And that's the note I sort of heard through it. Don't do it just because you have to. Do it because it's fun mm-hmm. and funny. Like, follow the thing that it should be about. And group games especially fall into that of just yeah. pattern, 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 pattern yeah. with no one enjoying it. You, I often got the note of, like, why are we seeing this scene? Why this moment? Why now? Why these characters right now? And I get that on an intellectual level. But that didn't connect to me as much as, that's not funny. Mm-hmm. This thing is funny. Do the funny thing. It's like, oh, that's why we're seeing the scene, to see that funny thing. Maybe this guy has a nice shirt, but that's not why. That's a coincidence. Yeah. That's not why we tuned in. We tuned in because this bassoon player has been ostracized, and we've got to find out what that's all about. That's, I'm interested in that. And I use that in openings and in scenes, and no matter what I do, it's just like something is fun, mm-hmm. and I want to follow that thing. So that's a note that uh, meant a lot to me. That was Kevin Hines, and here is Joey Price. What is one of the best notes you remember receiving? Remember Brandon Scott Jones was like sub coaching sort of the enemy or slam ball. And he just kind of said like, Joey, don't have a problem with a thing. Just do the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that I think was like a big one. And a note that I tell students all the time now. Yeah. It's like, just you're like, you've set up that this is what you're going to do. Just do it. Yeah, I think like that, something kind of clicked when that was said. In 401, I remember like there was a scene, I was like in a scene and it was going a certain way and it was like pretty, it was like a pretty clear game. And then like something kind of funny happened. And I think Brennan like challenged me to a sword fight, even mm-hmm. like, and it it was like a funny move to make and it was the right move to make yeah. kind of. And, but it was like a kind of a uh, shift in mm-hmm. what was happening in the scene. And I kind of was like, oh, I left my sword at home or something like that. And I remember Kevin Hines, who was my teacher, just kind of being like, if, the, if like your scene partner, or I don't even know if he was my scene partner, but like, if somebody like asks for a thing, have that thing. Yeah. Right? And I think that's a big thing, too, is like, always have what somebody has. Yeah. Even, like, even if in your head it doesn't make any sense or it's kind of like uh, a little bit of like a detour. Yeah. There's probably something there that will still get you back to it. Yeah. I've been thinking about that same thing a lot with information where it's rather than a character asking something about somebody else, even if it makes no sense for you to know that thing Mm -hmm. about that other person, just know what it is. Yeah. Right. Even if you're just like a barista and this is your customer and it hasn't been set up that you know each other, just know that they have a doctorate in paleontology or whatever is necessary yeah. for the scene Absolutely. rather than, uh, by the way, why are you here? Yeah. Let's fucking say it. Yeah, I agree. 100%. That was Joey Price. Finally, here's Ray Cordova. What's one of the best notes you've ever gotten? Oh, fuck. One of the best notes. Or some of the best notes. <laughs> yeah, I'll say some of them. It's hard to pick one. But So my 401 again, I've had so many good teachers. Oh, man. One of my favorites is definitely Curtis Quinn. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even a, a note. And again, like, I don't know if it was out there. Like, there were definitely, especially when I first, like, my 101, 201 days, I remember, like, if I was, like, in the background, I knew I wouldn't get up for a while. I'd have moments in my mind where I'd be like, oh, I got to watch for a while. You fucking learn so much from watching. And, like, you hear that, but it's so true. So, like, if you're just starting an improv, Relish the moments where you're watching other people get noted because you can learn so much from someone else's notes. Mm-hmm. So there's a scene happening in my 401 with Angela D and Brian. I forgot your last name, Brian, but you know who you are. <laughs> I want to say Witty, Brian Witty. Okay. Brian Witty and Angela D, they were in a scene. I think it was such a cliche in prophecy. He came home from work, he was had a bad, had a rough day, 
Angela made his favorite dinner. It was spaghetti. You know, he was sick of spaghetti. Right. <laughs> She's like, I'm trying to do a nice thing for you. You know, and it, it was all about spaghetti. Oh, I thought we're having spaghetti, spaghetti every day. Uh, da, 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 da. She's like, what's your favorite? I know it cheers you up. I even made the sauce you like. The whole thing was about spaghetti. And while they're going back and forth, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, it was a, it was a pretty not good scene. It was like, it was a classic, just you kind of get lost in the wrong detail, the wrong specific. Mm-hmm. And while they're talking back and forth, Curtis Green yells out, fuck spaghetti. Oh my God! Fuck the spaghetti! What are you? It's about you. <laughs> he didn't call the scene. Really right. kept going with the scene. And then we were done. He was like, "Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Just wanted you to really feel." He was like, "It's never about the spaghetti. Yeah. It could be anything." He was like, "Ah, the spaghetti is there. You can go back to the spaghetti if you need to, but I care about the two of you. I don't want to hear about spaghetti. I don't care about how much you're tired of eating. I don't want to hear about what's beyond the spaghetti. That's just part of the puzzle, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big no. It was like, yeah, don't get caught up in that thing. If you're in a scene, it's like, uh, happy anniversary, here's your gift. Or it's like, oh, I know we can't have cats and dogs, but I brought home a puppy. Like, yeah, that's a fun part to help you get to the game. Yeah. But that isn't, that isn't the game itself. Yeah. You can't just stick on the, the item in the scene. It's about the people in the scene. Yeah. And I think him just saying, I'll never forget fuck spaghetti. I've definitely yelled fuck spaghetti. I've told classic yeah. spaghetti this story, and I've yelled at them fuck spaghetti when they're not focused on the right part of the yeah. thing, focused on the scene. So that always rung out to me uh, from Curtis Gwynn. And then a bit of uh, life advice he gave me. This is a little bit, for me, at the time, it was a little bit scandalous. I was like, I was in 401. He told the whole class. But it felt like he was talking to me. What could have been some of us at a bar? We used to hang out, too. It was really cool. He was, mm-hmm. he was, Curtis Grimm was a great. We used to hang out and drink stuff at McManus. And he says to us, he goes, you guys are great and hilarious and you're fun people. Don't get stuck. Don't find yourself paying to be part of a fraternity or a sorority. Take the tools you need, use them, and get out. But if you have in your mind a next step, take it before it's too late. Don't get wrapped up in it. And like that's such, I think that was good advice. And to hear him say that, because it's so easy, it's so the community feels so good in UCB. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to get lost in it and get sidetracked, and you know, not even think about sometimes pursuing other things. You get so lost in the shows and the classes, and you know, going out to drink at McManus and just all that stuff. It's like, oh yeah, I have other parts of my life and others that I want to do. So he was just like, don't get lost in it. Like you know, still do other shit and like. So I think that was great advice he gave me. He also gave me that to me as he was leaving to LA. So I feel like yeah, you yeah, but, but I mean, but he lived it yeah. And I think and a lot of the greats, I think it's this thing of like they wake up one day and it's like yeah, I'm the master of this, but now what else is there for me? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Will Hines is amazing, but I'm so happy he's in LA killing it now. Yeah, you know, I think this is that time where it's like it doesn't mean that you have to go to LA. But it's like, even like, you know what, people, I think people think I'm crazy for stepping down from Hell Night. I remember when Riley stepped down from Hell Night. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, what? Is he going to be on TV? It's this thought of, like, you, you only leave Hell Night if you have a greater opportunity waiting for you. Yes. That's, 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 that's like if you're not on Hell Night. You, yeah. Once you're on it, you realize, like, this is another part of it. Like, yeah. Whatever, whatever reason you got into improv, if you didn't get in solely for improv, that's only a part of it. Yeah. Getting on Hell Night. You have to still do other things. This doesn't give you opportunities. Right. And it, people think that. It doesn't. Yeah. In, in the minorest, minorest little. way. Yes. It's like, oh, I get to audition for a salad shooter commercial right. or some bullshit. Like, Look that's how hard um, Anthony and Tamnick had to work. Yeah. You know? I yeah. mean, tonight, the president show premieres. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, just, come on. How many years has he been busting us behind? And, you know, weekend team, just part of arguably one of the greatest teams ever. Yeah. And it took him a long time to kind of get his slice. 
you know? I think we have a tendency to climb ladders just because they're in front of us. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and Herald Night and, or Weekend and all the way, it feels like that sometimes of, I love doing this. Yeah. I, I, and I, but I have to check in with myself every, every once in a while and just say, am I doing this because this is something that I love and feeds me yeah. or because I know I want to be better than this? Yeah. I, want to be, I want to be looked up to exactly. in some way. Which is a bad reason to do it. Yeah, definitely. That was very Cordova. By the way, here's one of the best notes I ever got. One of my first indie teams had just done our first show at school night at UCB. It was very late on a Wednesday night. And Gavin Spieler, our coach, saw it and gave us notes afterwards. At one point in the show, one person, Ben, had tagged everyone out into a new scene where we were all artists looking at a model and painting. The scene completely stalled and we all fell flat. After the show, Gavin said, Ben made a move that didn't work, but it's not on Ben. It was on the entire team to make that move work. That affected how I improvised and how I coached. The team should always be trying to make everything work when it doesn't and make everything as funny as possible when it does. That may mean supporting by getting the fuck out of the way and letting people in the scene knock it out of the park. Or that may mean supporting by jumping on the grenade, by getting in there and going down with the ship. But it's always about the team. That was episode nine. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And if you have any feedback for me, please send it to improv at curtisrutherford.com. Thanks to everyone who was part of this episode. Jessica Morgan. Hi, Lydia Hensler. Hi, I'm Jesse Lee. Hi, I'm Jenny Sanangelo. Hi, I'm Lily Dew. Molly Thomas. I am Chris Scott. James Dwyer. Nicole Dressbell. I'm Morgan Phillips. I am Achilles Stamatolaki. Uh, Liz Noth. Sebastian Canelli. Alex Dixon. Devin Ritchie. My name's Will Hines. Bill DePiro. Kevin Hines. Uh, Joey Price. Ray Cordova. And I'm Curtis Rutherford. Mm-hmm.